0: listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 39 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today, I've got an interview with Josie Woods about her son, Oliver, who was stillborn earlier this year. We talk about Josie's pregnancy, finding out that Oliver had a problem with his heart and coming to terms with the fact that he probably wouldn't survive just a few weeks before he did die and Josie gave birth to him. We talk quite a bit about grief and grief during lockdown and also about Josie's tragic experience of suffering a further miscarriage of her rainbow baby in the middle of this year. We also have a good discussion, and I'm really grateful to Josie for kind of opening up about this, around feelings of jealousy um, and anger around pregnancy announcements and you know Josie says she's not she is not typically an angry person and it scared her that she felt like this and she had these kind of uncomfortable feelings and I think that can be really hard when um, and with my own experience when you go through baby loss and you're in the aftermath of this because you do have these perfectly natural feelings which are all part of grief about anger, jealousy, envy, um, all these kind of really bad feelings or feelings that we're we are taught, you know, from when we're small children are, are bad things to feel. And it just really adds to the guilt and the feeling of not really being yourself or feeling like yourself, that you can have while you're going through those kind of dark days of grief. So, and I'm sure some of you who are listening, or many of you possibly, have felt similar things as part of your own experience of loss. So I hope that um, Josie's story resonates with you and sort of helps you to appreciate that you're not alone in feeling these things. And even though you may not want to feel them, it's part and parcel of grief and baby loss, and sometimes you just have to sit with those feelings and and wait for them to pass. And you know, eventually they do. They might come back again in the future. Um, and yeah, it's just a it's just one of those really hard places to be um, when you're going through that grief roller coaster. So, without further ado, we'll get into the episode. Um, as always, thank you to my fantastic supporters on Patreon, and thank you to everyone who shares the podcast um, with friends or you know other people on social media, um, and helps me reach more people with these stories. I hope you have a kind and gentle weekend. Today on the podcast I'm joined by Josie, mum to Oliver who was stillborn after being diagnosed with a heart condition during pregnancy. Welcome to the podcast Josie. Hello. It's great to have you on here. Um, now we'll start start with the easy question and let's go right back to the beginning. When did you first think about starting a family and how was your journey to getting pregnant with Oliver?
1: So we, I was diagnosed with endometriosis at the beginning of 2019 um, and we were sort of told that our chances to have a baby might be quite limited. So we decided to try for a baby and we were quite lucky that we fell pregnant with Oliver quite quickly. Um, so we were really lucky that we didn't really have any
0: problems. And how did the first part of your pregnancy go?
1: The first part was fine. I was very sick. I had very bad morning sickness and spent far too many days in hospital. But um, I'd do anything to go back there now.
0: Um, it was
1: fine, yeah. really.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I have to say that spending lots of days in hospital with morning sickness sounds, sounds <laughs> like a bit worse than five.
1: <laughs> well, I think the thing is, it feels awful at the time. But once you've been through what we've been through, I think I'd do anything to be back there.
0: Yeah, it definitely puts it into perspective, doesn't it? It kind of makes you grateful for what time you did have. And did that kind of uh, diminish towards the end of the first trimester or did it kind of carry on through? Yeah,
1: so I was on, I had to be on anti-sickness to keep it away. But towards, I think it was about 16 weeks, as long as I had the sickness tablets, it was fine.
0: Yeah. And when did you first find out or get an inkling that there was something wrong with Oliver?
1: Um, so we didn't actually know at all. Um, there were no sort of signs or anything like that. Um, we went for our 20 week scan. I remember being sort of quite nervous. And I said to George, "All like this is the big one. And um, this is where we find out if anything's wrong. And George sort of, as you would, said, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, we'll come out and we'll have seen him and we'll all be happy. <laughs> Um, and to be fair, even after that scan, I didn't really clock on because the lady that was doing it, she had a student with her as well. So she couldn't look as deeply as maybe she normally would. And she sort of just said to us all, he's just lying in a funny position and I can't quite see his heart. So we'll refer you for another scan. I didn't really think anything of it because she told us to go away and not worry. And then we had two further scans at like a higher up local hospital, not just the town hospital, Um, and she couldn't, the consultant couldn't see his heart there either. So I drank copious amounts of Coke and (laughs) ate chocolate and things that they all said to try and get him moving. Um, and again, she reassured us even on the second time that she thought it was just him being awkward, but she kind of threw in the sentence when she referred us to Birmingham Children's Hospital, she threw in the sentence that, um, they'll give us a diagnosis if there's something wrong and we'll go from there. And I think in my head that clicked and rang an alarm bell because she kept saying, oh, don't worry, don't worry, as we left. But as we left, I sort of cried and thought, what, what if there is something wrong? And I think it was literally like three days before Christmas. And oh um, like reassured by her and then George after, because he was meeting every single one of his milestones growth-wise. Everything was fine apart from this part of his heart. We just went about enjoying Christmas and thinking, oh, next Christmas, we'll have a little bundle of joy and it'll be lovely. And then so Christmas came and then we moved house on the 30th of <laughs> December. And then on the 31st, we had our scan with Birmingham. And I think it kind of clicked when we walked into the room and the consultant said, so what's your consultant at Coventry said? And I sort of thought, well, she hasn't said anything, but maybe she should have done. And that scan just felt like it went on forever. And um, I remember being told to go into one of the rooms to, I think they call it a counselling room, to wait for the doctors to come in. And it was then that I knew something was wrong because if it wasn't, they'd have just said, we've seen it and off you go.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, and and I'm glad in a way that you had that Christmas and you you did relax and you were able to enjoy that and, and have that with him because that must be some like a really happy memory that you have of your time with him?
1: Yeah, it's silly things. Like um my partner supports Wasps rugby and um we went to a rugby game and they had like the Christmas fireworks and he was kicking away because obviously the loud noises. And that was one of my fondest memories of him that day. And we wouldn't have had that if we'd known.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so I guess you're a little over uh sort of twenty weeks now. Um so what did the consultant say to you in that meeting?
1: So we had a relatively senior consultant do that scan. I mean, he was senior enough to work at Birmingham Children's. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, He said that he thought that Oliver had a hole in his heart, um, but that wasn't a major issue. That could be fixed. Lots of babies are born with it and go on as normal. I was quite reassured by that because I went to school with a girl that had a hole in her heart and was absolutely fine. Um, He said he thought that the two vessels, the one that goes to your body and then the one that goes to your lungs, were maybe combined, as opposed to being separate, because he couldn't quite see separate blood flow. Um, but he wasn't quite sure. So he said not to worry too much. Um, <clears throat> and that he thought Oliver would be fine, he'd just need an operation and a stay in NICU when he was born, but he'd be okay. And so again we went away really upset and then sort of as the evening went on we kind of processed it and George's parents came round, and I think that really helped us process it and we sort of looked at the information a bit more and we thought oh, you know it'll be fine and then we went back for our because he'd asked for a second opinion from his more senior colleague And we had a gross scan again. He was absolutely fine, met all his milestones. So we sat in Costa stuffing our faces. (laughs) And then we went back for his next scan. And that's when it all fell apart. She kind of, again, we were told to go in the room and sit down, which I wasn't too surprised about because I knew we would this time. But um, yeah, she sort of told us that it was a lot more serious. than they thought the tube that went to his lungs was huge. And the tube that went to his body was tiny and blocked. Um, so it was possible that he could already have brain damage and that he probably wouldn't make it to the end of pregnancy and that if he did, he'd need surgery that was right at the edge of what they could do um, with huge, huge risks and he would be in hospital for months and months and months. So I think that's when the whole world fell apart.
0: Yeah, completely. That must have been incredibly shocking, particularly given you had a few sort of slightly reassuring messages up to then I kind of understand that they need to reassure you and particularly if they don't they can't give you an answer as to what whether there is a problem and what it might be yeah um but yeah so did and did the consultant kind of give you any options at that point or choices or was it just a case of seeing how things go
1: yeah so they sort of their advice was just to see sort of see how things went and see how the pregnancy progressed a little bit so that's what we did and then unfortunately at 27 weeks we lost him Mm
0: -hmm. and so you must have gone just to go back to that kind of appointment I mean that that must have been terrible to come home Mm -hmm. from and to try and come to terms with it were you able to come to terms with it in those following weeks at all
1: It was really weird, the process we went through. I remember the first few days we just shot ourselves in our house. Um, The night we found out that he was poorly, or that poorly, Mm. we saw George's parents, um, who were quite local. And then we went to see my mum, who's about an hour and three quarters away, to tell her. And we actually came home the same night for some crazy reason. And then we just shot ourselves away. And it took George's parents coming around and saying like, guys, you really need to go out the house. But I think that kind of kick-started us to really enjoy our time that we had left with him. Don't get me wrong, there were so many tears in that time and there were so many upset moments. But I think we gradually sort of accepted it as the wrong word. But kind of came to peace that it was going to happen, but that he would be at that he wouldn't suffer any pain because of it. And that was the best thing we could do for him. So I don't know, we just, we spent that those few weeks just doing very strange things that just sort of things that you would think, oh, well, why are they doing that? Like we went and brought a new Hoover because we needed a new Hoover and it was a distraction. Mm. And I think people think, well, why? Because you've got so much more going on. But it was that everyday stuff that kept us going because we both took leave from work the day we found out he was poorly. Mm. And I think that's what kept us going—just the everyday mundanity of stuff.
0: Yeah, because you're also—I mean, you've you've been plunged into into that grief process, kind of, I guess, a bit earlier than most parents. Yeah. Um. You know. So yeah, and it is, and you're kind of grieving what you're not going to have, whilst trying to cling on what you you do have. And yeah, any kind of routine, I guess, in that is useful. Mm. And had you had you found out that he was a boy?
1: Yes, yeah, we found out our 20-week scan, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think, because you said there about sort of grieving about what we would have had, and I think that's something I particularly really struggled with. George has been, like, really lucky and been able to sort of compartmentalise it and say, well, actually, he would never have had that because he was so poorly, and I think Mm -hmm. that really helped me a little bit to have that person saying, well, actually, if you think about it, he wouldn't have had that. But I didn't take yeah. away the emotion that I wanted him to have it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, what what happened in the days sort of leading up to his death?
1: Um, so everything was quite normal. He hadn't he hadn't kicked for a while, mm-hmm. um, but I had an anterior placenta as well. So we didn't. I think that didn't help. Although looking back on it. I probably should have gone for monitoring more because he really didn't kick very much. And maybe that was a sign that there was something wrong. I don't know. Um but yeah, he just he just was very quiet mm. and we went to have our scan and um yeah, his heart had stopped beating.
0: And I think I mean I had a sort of similar experience, yeah. and I think you know, like, so my daughter Skye was never a massive kicker, like yeah. she did kick, but she wasn't a huge kicker. That's and now exactly I, I think, oh, well, maybe that was a sign that there was something wrong. But you know, they always reassure you anyway, don't they? And they, they say, oh, well, they don't get into a regular pattern of movements until, yeah, you know, 28 weeks or whatever. And, you know, my, my placenta was posterior, so I didn't even have that, which must have been even harder because I know it's harder to feel them in that situation. Yeah. And can I ask this, this might sound an odd question, but I guess what, what was that moment like for you in terms of shock? Because obviously, I guess my experience and experience a lot of parents is, is that you go in and you hear that news and it's an overwhelming shock Mm. because that's the first you're hearing of a problem. Whereas, I guess you knew that there was a problem, but did you, did you even consider the fact that he would he would die that young or what was your kind of thought process around that
1: I think we knew it was going to happen we were pretty mm. much told it was going to happen um I think you can't prepare yourself for it
0: no
1: I think I tried to um but it just felt like everything fell apart again I remember feeling like I was going to faint I felt so sick yeah. like I I just remember grabbing onto George and saying, this can't be happening.
0: Yeah. I don't think knowing that, it doesn't make it any easier when you actually face that situation. And that's, yeah, that's what you get told.
1: Like no one should be told that their baby's heart has no. stopped.
0: No. And had they talks through beforehand what might happen in this case or was this like the first you're hearing about you know my baby's heart stopped I've got to come to terms with that but what happens next
1: no to be fair we were really really well prepared for what would happen mm. we were told we'd go in 20 48 hours later and um, would be induced um, and we were put in contact with bereavement midwives quite early on so, yeah, we, we were really lucky in that we were prepared
0: for it. And how was that experience for you in terms of his birth? and
1: Awful. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I mean, it's awful anyway. Let's like, not, like, not put, uh, you know, there is no kind of, you know, positive, happy ending to these birth experiences.
1: No. I think it was so far from what I'd planned. Mm-hmm. Um like being sent home for 48 hours with to put it bluntly, a dead baby inside you Mm. is like I didn't know what to do with myself like I didn't even know where to start to prepare for it like we had to pack a bag and it was completely different to what it should have been it didn't have any baby stuff in like we had a little bag of his stuff that we wanted him to have but it didn't have like the nappies and everything like that that you would expect um I think the birth itself, to begin with, it was okay. I remember clinging to the midwife and George when they started to induce me and just saying it shouldn't be like this. Mm. And, I like, no one could talk to me without me bursting into tears. It progressed all right to begin with. Like, I think within the first few hours I was having contractions and that continued through the night and ramped up in the morning. Um, so they sort of took me down to labour ward for more pain relief. But then it just slowed down completely I was still having the contractions but nothing was happening it wasn't progressing anything and I think in total I was in labour for nearly six days
0: oh my before God. I had
1: him um, I just wow. it's it's a very strange haze like I remember bits of it but I don't remember the in between bits and I know that yeah. for George it was very difficult to see it going on that long for such a horrible outcome
0: Yeah I I can't yeah I mean I can't imagine I know that you know inductions can take a while but even so that I mean that's an incredibly traumatic thing for you both to go through and not to mention I mean you were probably exhausted before this whole started because you know your grief and grief is exhausting and you haven't slept and anything and then you're having to go through this you know incredibly traumatic experience Yeah. yeah and when he did finally decide to make his arrival <laughs> into the will, because he obviously wanted to stay with yeah. you, but it was quite happy in mum's time. <laughs> how how did it feel when you first saw him and when you first held him?
1: It was strange because the end of labour was very difficult. It was very complicated, and then suddenly he was ready to be born and arrived in a matter of minutes. And I suddenly gone from he's not going to be here for hours to. Oh my goodness, he's gonna be here in a second. So, in a way it was relief because he was finally here, I could finally cuddle him. And I also it sounds very strange, and I remember saying to the midwife, Is it strange? I was excited to meet him. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to see what he looked like, I wanted to see who he looked like, like were his feet as massive as they looked on the scans, like <laughs> the little thing? Were they? Uh, Yes, they were. They were huge. (laughs) Absolutely massive. Um, But I don't think anything prepared me for how heartbroken I would be when I held him. It just felt so wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't think anything can. And I don't think... I don't know like I have my own experiences and I've spoken to people who have different experiences yeah. and I don't think you can predict how you're going to feel in that moment no um because I think that's you know that's different for everyone and you know it and also it's influenced by what you've been through and everything yeah. up, leading up to that point absolutely yeah. and were you able to stay with him for a while in the hospital yeah so we
1: had we had quite a long time with him um they all sort of supported us in doing sort of hand and footprints, dressing him, wrapping him up in his blankets, hugging him. Like I didn't I didn't know how to hook him mm. because he was so fragile. And because unfortunately he'd been gone for a while, his skin was yeah. so fragile. And I just remember saying to George, I want to hook him, but I don't know how. And mm. they were so supportive in like doing everything they could to make it feel I say normal it's never going to be normal but to make it special I guess is the word I'm Mm. looking for and they took photos of us together and things like that
0: that's it sounds like you had wonderful support there and I I mean I yeah and I I was Sky was also similar and yeah and really fragile and I was terrified yeah, yeah I was terrified and I I kind of regret it now because I don't think I held her as much as I should have done because partly because of that yeah
1: I completely understand that
0: yeah so I didn't
1: I felt like I, it sounds silly because I know he wasn't alive but I didn't want to hurt him
0: yeah yeah and like anything you do that like causes any damage or anything, even though as you know, you know they can't feel it, yeah. and there's nothing there. It still feels like you're hurting your baby. Absolutely. And, yeah. 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 Oh well, I'm, I am glad you had that time. Yeah,
1: we were yeah. our bereavement advice. death was just like beyond words. I don't know what we'd do without.
0: Yeah. Um, but at some point, you had to leave him and yeah. and go back back yeah. home. And, I mean, I think we all know, everyone listening to the podcast knows how hard those kind of early weeks and months of grief are. What what did you find the hardest aspect was for you? Was there anything in particular?
1: I think I just felt so alone. I Mm -hmm. felt like I had lost all of me. I felt like I'd lost me. And I felt like... I'd lost all we'd ever wanted. I think I remember coming home the day after we left him. We'd planned to stay in another night, but I just couldn't. Without him with us, I couldn't. And I think I announced at like nine o'clock that I wanted to go home. So we didn't get home until about midnight. And I remember just sitting on the floor up the stairs and I didn't know how to move. And George had to, like, peel me off the floor and sort of send me to have a shower and get myself into bed. But beyond that, I didn't know how to do anything. I remember standing in the shower thinking, I don't know how to have a shower. Like, Mm -hmm. it felt for the first few weeks like I had literally forgotten how to live. And I couldn't see how we would ever be happy again.
0: And you're now sort of some months further on yeah how how has that changed for you like how have those feelings changed for you it's
1: strange because i i still feel so sad when i think of him and mm. i still miss him so much but it's kind of changed without me noticing and i find that quite comforting in a way so i sort of on my really bad days i look back to that night where i couldn't move from the stairs and i think well you've come so far And you Mm -hmm. could never have imagined yourself coming that far, but you've done it and you've not done anything to consciously make it happen. It sort of naturally happened. And I think slowly as the days went on, it got easier. Things like as the bereavement midwife phoned more, I wouldn't cry quite so much or that I wouldn't cry as soon as the community midwife walked in. Things like that, I think, were quite big steps forward, but I didn't realise at the time and then they slowly added up to where we are now.
0: Mm. Yeah, I completely understand that. And, you know, I, I, I remember one day very distinctly where I couldn't get off the floor. I remember crawling up the stairs because I couldn't, like, I couldn't stand.
1: Yeah, there's so many times I've just sat in Oliver's room and George has come in and said, come on up you get, like, have, not unsympathetically, but have a yeah. puddle, like,
0: yeah.
1: stand up. And I actually can't work out how to. Yeah. like even to this day sometimes I will sit in Oliver's room because I want to feel close to him but then I can't work out how to leave
0: and it was only it wasn't that long after Oliver died I think that pandemic hit this year and we were punished into lockdown and the world went crazy how how did that impact your grief and do you think it made things easier or harder for you
1: I think a bit of both if I'm perfectly honest I think so George's family are really close unfortunately my family's sort of quite far away from where we are relatively Mm -hmm. speaking so we'd sort of popped in on George's family quite a few times just for a couple of hours in the evening for a game or a program or just literally just a chat about something other than baby loss and I think again without us knowing that had been such a support system just to have that change of scenery but without any social pressure on it and I think when we suddenly weren't able to do that that was suddenly really difficult because it was just us in our world of baby loss there was no one else to sort of give perspective is the wrong word but sort of remind us that the outside world does exist and I think that was very difficult. I very quickly felt very isolated. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't see my family. I couldn't see George's family. It was very isolating. But at the same time, because George was working from home, it gave us extra time together that we wouldn't otherwise have been able to have. And I do question how I would have coped on my own at home during maternity leave for that
0: long. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I think it's been a bit of a double-edged sword for a lot of people. Yeah. And you mentioned um, sort of near the start of the interview that you moved house while you were pregnant. In fact, I think the day before you had the first of those kind of sort of scans, which was telling you that, that things, you know, weren't quite right. Yeah. And I'm guessing you must have been pretty excited about moving house and particularly like you know, new beginnings, new baby, all of that kind of thing, new memories to be made. But then, obviously, the weeks after that, the weeks and months were were filled with grief. Yeah. So, I guess your experience of being in your new home was actually then associated with sadness or loss. How, how have you found that, and have you been able to reach a place where you feel, I guess, more at home in your home and and sort of rebuild something from that? So, it's something we've both really struggled with.
1: I think. Like, we looked around the house, we had, oh, this room will be perfect for them. I remember the feeling of carrying all this stuff upstairs when we moved in and thinking, oh, like, this is going to be a family home. It's going to be amazing. Like, and picturing everything out in the living room. And then for it to so quickly be gone and for it to have only lasted like 24 hours was just devastating. And I remember saying to George, I don't know how to go back into that house. But it was strange because. It's sort of it's quite an oldie woldy house. It's got like beams and a big fireplace mm. and stuff. And in some respects, it felt like it was almost hugging us through it. And it was sort of it was a bit of comfort and really homely in such a difficult situation. And we've gone through so many different stages of being here. We've gone through absolutely wanting to leave. There's no way we can stay. I can't walk past his bedroom anymore to oh no we want to stay like we'll stay for a long time kind of thing and then back to not wanting to stay and then back to wanting to stay but actually in the end we did want to stay and I was quite sort of set on wanting to stay but I think it became apparent that it was actually more detrimental for us to stay so we've actually brought another house which we're due to move into beginning of next year if it's finished in time which brings with it its own emotions because I feel like I'm leaving behind the room that was meant to be for Oliver and that room will never mm-hmm. see a baby now. And I think like, we've got to pack his nursery away and we should have been doing that with him around us if we were going to move. So I think, like you said, a bit of a double-edged sword, there's going to be very difficult times in moving, but I do think it will be beneficial in that it it's sort of like not to forget Oliver, will never ever forget Oliver. Nothing makes the pain better But we're due to move on the 30th of December, which is the day we moved in last year. And I think we've both said it kind of signifies the end of a really rubbish year (laughs) and that that year will never get better and it will never go away. But maybe if we move, we can more carry Oliver in our heart instead of the pain of walking past his room every time. Mm
0: yeah and can I ask have you have you chosen quite a different style of house then yeah
1: yeah very very different we've gone for a new build so it's completely different Mm.
0: I think that's I can I can I mean I can completely understand that yeah Um, and I guess I don't know that and there must be a lot of and I think I guess you know it's not just the grief of having Oliver in that house but it's it's kind of all those hopes which you had moving yeah. into that house and the fact that it was going to be your family house yeah, with your baby, who you were pregnant with at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: I remember the estate agents sort were of saying, oh, it's a perfect family home. Like, because it was between this one and one down the road. And she was like, the one down the road isn't as family friendly. And I, I fell in love with this as soon as I walked in. I remember saying to George, we're having it. He was like, well, let's think about it for a little while. I was like, no, we're having this one. I want this one. <laughs> and you can't argue with a pregnant woman so yeah it it felt like we'd lost everything that this home was meant to have
0: yeah and very sadly you've also suffered a further loss since oliver died miscarriage of your rainbow baby could you tell us a bit about that experience
1: yeah so we decided we were going to wait until we found out from oliver's post-mortem not his post-mortem his um They did blood tests of us and Oliver to genetically map stuff because there was a chance it could have been genetic. So we wanted to wait till we got those results back and the results from the placenta back to make sure it was nothing that could happen again, or at least if it was like forewarned is forearmed Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So we waited for that, and then we decided that our want for a baby hadn't gone just because we'd lost Oliver – Uh, we didn't we never want to replace him he can never be replaced but we still have that my arms still want a baby in them Mm -hmm. so we did decide to try again and I think we were both absolutely terrified that what happened to Oliver would happen again but even though I knew it could happen I don't think I ever comprehended that we'd have a miscarriage I think I assumed that the first 12 weeks would be fine because there's nothing you can do in the first 12 weeks. There's nothing we could see in the first 12 weeks until 16 weeks. So surely it would be absolutely fine. And then I remember I started bleeding and I completely freaked out. And George sort of tried to calm me down. And we spoke to the midwife and they thought it was quite sort of routine, just early pregnancy bleeding, but to keep an eye on it kind of thing and it decreased over the next 24 hours till it had almost stopped. So I remember that was the Monday and I went to bed on the, I think it'd be the Tuesday I went to bed. Was it? No, I think it was it'd be the Monday I went to bed and it had really decreased. And then I got up on the Tuesday and it still really decreased. And I had, I remember I had an appointment with my bereavement support worker and then the community midwife was also phoning me because we were going to have the same one as with Oliver. So it didn't have to all be explained again. And, um, so I had those appointments and we'd sort of planned all my blood tests and stuff with a community midwife and I came off the phone and it hurt a little bit and something just didn't feel right and I went upstairs and they'd always said like watch out for bright red blood and suddenly I was presented with bright red blood and I knew what was happening then and I phoned George and I phoned the community midwife and George hurried home and sort of the community midwife tried to arrange a scan but because of Covid they wouldn't do a scan and I remember speaking to the early pregnancy unit and she turned around to me and she said I'll do a pregnancy test in two weeks to check you're not pregnant and I remember thinking but I want to be pregnant and I remember telling her about Oliver and she said oh well this just happens sometimes to people people have miscarriages hey
0: two weeks like yeah this isn't a thing you should have to wait
1: two weeks no and I sort of said to her I was like but surely there must be like I've Already given birth to one dead baby. To put it bluntly, like, please try and save this baby. But they sort of they just didn't want to. They didn't want to do it, and that's fine. I I do get the restrictions, and I get that it was early and sort of all of that. But I still think if you've lost the baby, I think you should be allowed a scan to at least know that the worst is happening. Because I remember I went to bed that night, and again, it, it sort of slowed down towards the evening. So we went to bed thinking, oh, actually maybe it is just normal pregnancy bleeding but then when I woke up in the morning I was in a lot of pain and it was like we'd definitely lost the baby and I just I remember sitting on the toilet just in floods of tears I was like how how can this be happening again
0: mm-hmm. yeah and I think but as you say I think having that scan gives you that confirmation and almost yeah. it kind of starts that there's that certainty there isn't mm. there that you need to start that grieving process for that two
1: weeks even though I knew that pregnancy test was going to be negative I held on to that tiny bit of hope that it wouldn't be so it was like mm. another kick in the teeth when it was negative
0: yeah yeah and that must have really affected your grief around Oliver as well because yeah. grief is a roller coaster as it is but having <laughs> that extra loss and grief piled on top of you must have been incredibly hard
1: it was and it was a very strange feeling because. I was devastated we'd lost that baby. Like, don't get me wrong, I'd planned the next 10 years in my head in the space of 24 hours after getting the two lines in the test. But it felt so different to Oliver. And I remember saying to the midwife, like, I feel awful. It doesn't hurt as much as when we lost Oliver. And was like, well, of course it doesn't. You've never met this baby. You've never... You haven't given birth to it. It's not got a personality with its kicking pattern or anything like that. And I think almost more than grieving for the other baby we lost. I think it made me grieve for Oliver again Mm -hmm. and feel all that grief again because I think, don't get me wrong, I'm still absolutely devastated it happened, but I think like now, sort of eight weeks on, I sort of feel like, yes, it happened, but it's kind of just our journey to having a baby, whereas Oliver Mm -hmm. just feels like a complete stop and block in the road.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, and, you know, I've heard other people say that they do feel there is a difference. And, you know, if if you hadn't have lost Oliver, if your miscarriage was your first experience, then you might have felt differently about that. Absolutely,
1: mm-hmm. like, if it's your first experience of baby loss, I can imagine it's absolutely devastating.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, you've kind of been up to, like, this Everest-scale mountain, and in comparison, yeah, yeah. this is just a little bit a little bit smaller
1: yeah Mm.
0: but I think something
1: that sort of made me upset about it again was we've got a family member who's expecting a baby and there would literally have been days between our rainbow baby and their baby and I think I find that quite tough now because I didn't know that until a few weeks ago obviously but I think now I know that and I watch her go through it I think I almost grieve that baby a bit more now
0: yeah, and you might find that you grieve them again when he does give birth. That, like, I think that's, I yeah, I think when a close family member has a sort of baby after you've lost a baby, anyway, it's a really emotional experience. So yeah. be prepared for that because I found it. My sister-in-law had a baby, and I actually found it the the kind of was the worst day I had after you know since those early days. Yeah. Um and that wasn't because. I didn't want her to have a happy ending. It was almost relief as well yeah. that it hadn't happened to her. Yes, definitely. You know, um, which I think you don't necessarily always think you're feeling, but you'll carry something kind of subconsciously about that.
1: Yeah, because I know that, um, so we had Oliver due in April. In March, some of my friends from home were due to have a baby. And then in mm-hmm. February, some of George's friends were due to have a baby. And it like it felt like it was going to be so perfect. There were babies coming on both sides of our relationship mm-hmm and they were all going to be friends and it was going to be happy ever after. And I remember the lead up to George's friends baby being born. Like I think it must be about 3 weeks after Oliver was born and I found knowing that they were in labor so hard. It was almost like a relief when their little one had been born and he was okay, she was okay, and everything was okay. And it I don't know why it was such a relief, but it was definitely a lot easier once he'd been born and the same with my friend when I got the photos through I was so relieved that their little girl was okay and again she was okay
0: yeah I think it's just because you're in this world now and you know that things can go wrong at any time don't you yeah you You know how perilous it is and you just don't want that for anyone else yeah and it probably gives us a kind of an an enhanced perception of risk rather than rather than a reality you know perhaps a real version of risk you know you can tell yourself oh well the statistics are that this should be fine this should be fine but that doesn't stop you worrying because you've been on the wrong side of those statistics
1: already and I think because I I really struggled with jealousy as well in that and Mm -hmm. not because I wanted their baby not Mm -hmm. because I was angry that they were having a baby but because I didn't have my baby and I'm quite proud that I've never really been a jealous person and that's something I really really struggled with because I remember in July I think I saw no it must have been May time my first pregnancy announcement from a family member and it was my cousin and I just remember saying to George I feel jealous and I hate it and it was such a horrible feeling but I remember speaking to my bereavement midwife and saying well it's not a bad feeling because you're not nastily jealous of what they've got you just want Oliver and it took me a long long time to accept that I will be jealous when I see pregnancy announcements I probably will cry for a couple of hours but that it will get easier
0: I think it's really I'm really glad you mentioned that actually because I think it's I think it's something that's really important to talk about because it's one of those it's those dark. It's that dark side of grief, isn't it? That yes. again isn't really talked about because being jealous is a bad thing. You know, it's like one of those. It, a, you feel bad because it. You know, you feel shame because of it. But also, you know, society tells us. well you taught as you a know, child, You shouldn't you? be jealous. Yeah, and society tells. Oh, pregnancy announcement. That's a big happy thing, you know, and and that's what you should feel. But actually, the reality is, I think that you know probably everyone who's suffered a loss has felt that at some point. Yeah. And you know, some people feel it really, really keenly. Yeah. Um I remember I've got a friend
1: who's a bereavement midwife and I remember sort of I felt like I reached what I could cope with and I just phoned her one day in tears. And I remember saying, I hate these feelings of anger and jealousy because it's just not me. Like I'm not an angry person. I'm I've always prided myself, I think, in trying to be a nice person and these were just such unme feelings and she said to me that she's always called them ugly feelings mm. and that they're the feelings that people want to hide because they're the feelings that you're taught as a child are bad, you're taught not to be angry as a child, you're taught not to be jealous and it went against everything I knew and it took so long for me to accept that of course it was okay, I was jealous of other people who had a baby in their hands of course it's okay that I was angry that I didn't have my baby and actually it wouldn't be natural if I wasn't.
0: Yeah and it's part of grief it is part of grief is feeling those ugly emotions.
1: Yeah because I assumed I could avoid it because I've never been an angry person but I definitely didn't.
0: No no and Obviously, so you've got you've got your new house which you're moving to, yeah. hopefully a brighter 2021. Hopefully. How yeah, how are you how are you going to take Oliver with you and kind of obviously you always have him in your hearts, but have you thought about how you want to kind of celebrate his life or involve him in your kind of day-to-day life? So I think it's really hard because it's something I've
1: spoke of, sort of spoken a lot with George about because I don't just want to remember him in a sad way because we did have so many happy memories with him. Like, we got engaged while I was pregnant. um, Like, there were so many happy things that we did while he was safe inside me, and we were oblivious to what was going on, that it doesn't feel like he deserves for us to always be sad. Like, not that there's anything wrong with being sad all the time. That's fine. Like, everyone's individual. So I think we've sort of said we'll try as things get easier to remember the happy times of him and the happy memories with him and I think something that's quite important to me is so my mum had a baby that was still born as well nothing sort of linked to Oliver mm. um another complete fluke but um we've I never remember being told about him I've just always known he's always been part of my life I never remember being sat down and told this is what's happened and I've always admired my mum for that I've always admired that she's always made him part of our lives we've always known when his birthday was and we've always as we got older and it was appropriate known what happened and I think that's something I really want for Oliver if we're lucky enough To have another baby, I want them to know about him. I want them to know his birthday, and I want them to know his story because he's their brother. And I think, Mm. like, I want to celebrate is the wrong word, but I want to commemorate, I guess, his birthday every year. I want, like, I want us to have his birthday off work every year and things like that.
0: Just even if it's just to go for a picnic, but something you'd do with him, I think. Yeah, and I think that is. You know that's amazing that your mum did that, and particularly because I guess, you know, when when she had, you know, your brother, mm. it was in a slightly different ta- generational time, so it wasn't talked about as much. You know, he'd
1: be, I think, he'd be around forty now, so it's okay. it's a completely different time, and I think that in some respect has been quite hard for her because she's got her experiences which were really quite archaic compared to the care we had like she wasn't allowed to hold him or anything like that and there was none of the after support or anything and that's something that's often played on my mind like she's lost her baby and she's got her experience of that but maybe she feels jealous that we've been able to hold oliver and bond with oliver and we've got his footprints and we've got photos and things like that
0: but at the same time you know she's she must have not only felt the grief of you know losing having you know her grandson die in that you know obviously not the same circumstances but have the same thing but also the grief of watching you know her daughter go through what what she went through because she knows how painful that is yeah
1: she said it it kind of she didn't really I remember she said to me one day that she'd never really comprehended potentially how much her her parents my grandparents had been upset by the loss of their baby because they'd sort of put on a strong face to support my mum and my dad but she said it kind of it made her realise just how much they must have hurt for them and not just for the loss of their grandchild but as she said seeing them go through it
0: yeah yeah and you started a blog and Instagram account to share Oliver's story and your experience of baby loss why did you decide to speak out about baby loss?
1: I think it's a combination of things. I think I remember when we were told that we'd lose Oliver, I remember feeling like I didn't know anything about this and I didn't, Mm. like, I'm not saying pregnant women women should be told you may well lose your baby. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be horrific. Like, I don't think that's the case. But I think there is space for, public awareness around the topic like it being on the news it being I don't know just a bit more visible because I think as well a lot of people suffer it in silence and you will never know like a lot of people I know will never know what's happened and Mm -hmm. they would have no idea if I didn't have my Instagram and I think like I've often thought even a share of one post on your story You never know who that is reaching, who watches your story, who is maybe feeling like they're completely alone. And I think I just wanted, I really wanted to use Oliver to do something positive if that was possible. And I think if I can help one person, then it's worth it. And I think, because I remember coming home and I listened to Giovanna Fletcher's podcast, Happy Mama, Happy Baby, with Elle Wright on it. And I remember looking up her blog and her Instagram and it gave me so much comfort. I think I listened to it like two days after we came home from Oliver, So it was very, very raw still. But just scrolling through her pictures, reading her posts and reading her blog sort of made me think, OK, it was rubbish now, but it will, with time, slowly get easier. And I think I wanted to be able to provide that to people as well as the slightly more public awareness. Because I think there is a stigma around baby loss and I don't really understand why there is but I think there is.
0: Yeah, I agree for sure. And I think, yeah, as you say, exactly, in those kind of early days, it's so hard to believe that there is life and that you will be able to live again. Yeah. And, and learn to do that. Um, But you do over time, like it takes time, a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. But eventually you get there. Yeah, slowly but surely. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you so much. We are about our time, but thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing Oliver's story. Would you like to tell people where they can connect with you online? Yes.
1: Yeah, so on Instagram, I'm at precious underscore little underscore footprints. And then my blog link is also on my Instagram page.
0: And I will include links to both of those in the show notes. If you haven't written down those underscores (laughs) or whatever, they will be there in the show notes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Josie. I really appreciate you. you coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.